So here we are in a system not designed for women, not designed for millennials, not designed for inclusion. A system that is finally changing. Let's get familiar. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about womanhood. I'm Leslie Gray, bringing you passionate, informed guests to talk about millennial women building wealth, power, and influence in our modern era. The future for women and wealth is brighter than ever. Welcome to Love and Dividends. As we cap off season two, we're going to put out just a little bit of a different kind of episode this week. It's a mini episode in a quick tips format. The reason is I really want to be able to give practical, usable advice to our listeners. So if you've been listening for a while, let us know what you think about this format and maybe down the road we'll, we'll put out even more of them. This week we dive into RSPs. That stands for a Retirement Savings Plan. You can get a registered RSP uh, at many financial institutions in Canada. They're an excellent vehicle to be able to grow wealth, invest your money, compound that interest on a tax-deferred basis. Because they're so helpful and so useful, they can also be a little bit tricky. There are a lot of different rules that apply, and a good friend of mine from law school was kind enough to join me briefly on Zoom to take me through it, to answer all of my questions. He works at RBC, the Royal Bank of Canada, in their wealth management group. And he had some tips even I didn't know about. You'll hear in the episode. I was hoping to provide great comment to the listeners. I, of course, thought I fully understood them and how they work and the cool tax advantages you can get. But I hope you find it highly useful and functional I hope it inspires you to open an RSP if you don't have one, to invest in a way that makes sense based on your income and your tax status, or to use some of the cool features like paying for education using one, putting down uh, money for your first home, and we go into what first homes means. It's not what you think. Enjoy this episode, and again, if you like this format, if you like this idea of sort of quick tips uh, on money issues, let us know. Send us a DM on Instagram or shoot us an email. We always love hearing from you. And make sure you're subscribed because after this one, the next one will be the finale. Enjoy. What is an RSP? What's the difference between that and an RSP? And how do we use it in the most effective, efficient way, much like the Bowers you would get in a euchre hand? Wow. Lucas and I are Euchre partners for listeners. So that's how we know each other. What I would say is this, and I'm glad you brought Euchre into it because much like Euchre, so in a nutshell, an RSP generally is a specific type of vehicle. Predominantly what you're going to get is a, a, you know, financial institution, say RBC, for example, you'll get a, a trust arrangement RSP, which basically means that you are the beneficiary of this trust and it is designed in a very specific way under the rules of the Income Tax Act that allow for tax-deferred growth on your contributions. Your contributions are based on 
the amount of money you make on the amount of earned income you have per year that generates new room for yourself. Okay. So first of all, the room in your RSP grows every year. Like I notice that every year I make money. So every year then CRA says, good job, Leslie, you made this much money. We're now going to give you even more room in your RSP for you to put money in. That's really how it works, right? Yeah. So again, the, the type of income is very important. Because if yeah. I was an entrepreneur, not so. Potentially. So what I referred to as earned income, it's a very, very specific definition. And the specificity of it alludes to specific lines on your income tax return. And it says whatever types of income you're listing, if it's on any of these lines, then it'll go towards your in- earned income calculation. And then there's certain deductions from that. Uh, in terms of the point that you made, which I think is very, very important, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're self-employed, you have to pay yourself the right kind of income. And so business mm-hmm. income, if you just are a sole proprietor and that's how you've legally structured your business, that's great because that is fully included But if you own a corporation and you pay yourself dividends, that is not included. That's not to say that it's a bad move. What's important is making sure that you are doing what's right for you at the time. And dividends can can absolutely be a great move if you need cash flow now because they're taxed more favorably than fully taxable employment income. For our audience, who's maybe not there yet, so they're, you know, have a regular job, but the job is going well. So they know down the road, they're going to make even more. My understanding is that it makes sense to let that RSP room grow and grow every year, maybe contribute a little bit, wait until your high earning years to put it in because your high earning years, you're paying more in taxes and it lets you pay less in taxes. Is that? This is a great question. And this was something that potentially I suffered from as well when I was younger. I started working quite young. I was working for my father quite young and I was getting salary. So you can generate RSP room at any point in time. Okay? Mm, really? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, like like child actors, for example, if, if they're getting paid large sums of money and they're in Canada, they'll get their RSP room. TFSA, you have to be 18. And in certain provinces, you can start generating room, but you can't contribute until you're 19. For RSP specifically, I didn't contribute right away, which... At the time, I didn't need money. I didn't need cash flow because I lived with my parents and my parents provided everything for me. There's certain advantages, and we can get into this in a second, of what the RSP can do. But more to your point, though, and your question specifically was, you know, should you wait to contribute to your RSP? The answer is no. If you don't need cash flow, you can contribute at any time. And there's something that we refer to as a carry forward. More accurately, it's referred to as unused contribution room. And so I can contribute today in tax year 2021. And then if my income, and I know my income is going to increase in you know, 2023, I can wait to make the deduction until my income goes up in 2023. That's something that very few people understand. Lucas, why is this the first time hearing of this? No one talks about it. It is it's bonkers to me that no one knows about this. The key is to make sure that you contribute whenever you don't need the money. Right. I want to get into that. But here's why my mind is blown. I contribute 2021. I don't need the money. All that money, I invest it smartly because I've been listening to this podcast. I'm putting in some some good investments. 
all that growth is tax deferred at the end of this year. I don't have to pay the government on whatever it grows. My stock, I buy a Tesla stock. It does very well. Thank you, Elon. I don't have to pay tax on that. But meanwhile, you're telling me I can say, accountant, wait, don't give me back the money I would get back. Don't claim it as a deduction this year. Could you please wait? Because I'm hoping to be partner in two years. And when I get that huge pay increase, let's make it deductible in 2023. But meanwhile, as that Tesla stock grows over the next two years, that's all tax-free growth. Yes. Fuck. Yes. And so that's what I'm talking about. So as a kid, it wasn't even significant amounts of money. But the, 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 the key there would have been, had I contributed it at the time, and I was earning, you know, whatever, let's say $10,000, which is within my personal exemption. So I didn't pay tax anyway. You know, I could have still not paid tax at the time. I could have contributed my $10,000 a year as a child or like whatever, like 16, 17 when I was working. Yeah. And then I could have been building up my RSPs. And like you said, investing it and having it grow tax deferred. And then when I graduated from law school and I got my first job and I was in a higher tax bracket, I could have started deducting at that point in time. And you could have deducted all the way back from when you were 16. The, the carry forward goes on forever. We can talk about a, you know, a cautionary tale, but that's the idea. When I look at an RSP, there's, there's two things that I like to point out. And the two advantages of the RSP is one, tax deferred growth and two, deduction. So can we talk a little bit about using it for school, for housing, and then other times that aren't retirement, sure. you might still want to take it out. When can I get that money sure. other than retirement? The simplest way to put it is you can get the money out whenever you want. It's your money. The issue is it's fully taxable when it comes back out. So what that means is regardless of whether you've made capital gains or you've earned dividends or you've earned interest on your investments or foreign income, whatever it is doesn't matter. Every dollar that you pull out gets it's get added to your gross income. As if my employer was paying me higher. Exactly. Income. So exactly. it could even put me in a higher income bracket almost. Yes. And so we could, well, I'll, that would be the last thing I'll talk about. But I want to talk okay. about the first two things that you, you, you mentioned, which is schooling and home, because this is where I think, I think people really don't understand the home buyer's plan and the lifelong learning plan. The home buyer's plan was in part, what made me buy my first condo, which was in part what put me on a path to now own a home in Toronto. So going back to that, entering law school, I only had about $25,000 in my RSP. And that was a conscious decision because I worked all through undergrad. I had scholarships. I didn't need all the cash that I was, I was making. So I put it in my RSP. The first step in the RSP is lifelong learning plan or home buyer's plan. And so the lifelong learning plan might apply to a lot more people sooner. And it, it's, it's basically a program where you can take out, don't quote me on this, I believe it's up to 10000 It's up to 20000 A lot of times I always tell people, especially young, when you get your first job and if you have the luxury of living at home and you don't have to pay for groceries, if you have the excess cash flow that you don't need, put it in because these two plans will change your life. They will do more for you in terms of one, getting the deferral, that sweet, sweet deferral. And two, you can deduct down the road, Who cares about that. We're not talking about that now. We're talking about people who are having the first job, low income tax bracket, they're satisfied paying that because at the end of the day, you have to pay tax no matter what. 
you might as well pay it at the lowest marginal bracket. So pay your tax. And if you have anything left over, put it into the RSP. You will do so much better for yourself because you now get to use essentially $25,000 or $35,000 in today, tax-free, pre-tax, I should say, for your down payment on your home, which a lot of people that don't contribute, they have to use after-tax dollars. And depending on what tax bracket they're in, that means they have to earn a lot more to put in the same $35,000 that you would put in. An important part is that it's first-time home buyers. So if you don't use it for the first home you buy, you don't get it later. Is that, am I right about that? you want me to blow your mind? Do you want me to blow your mind? Always. So for some reason, they insist on calling it first-time home buyer. I hate it. I always call it home buyer's plan. So first-time home buyers, what it actually means, it's a very specific definition. And for you to qualify for a first time, to be a first-time home buyer, you cannot have owned or lived in a home that was owned by your spouse, spouse meaning common law or married. You can't have lived in there. And don't quote me on this because it's such a verbose definition, but basically in the past four years, you couldn't have lived in a home that you owned is basically the, the definition. But I could own a rental property. I could buy a home in, in Windsor and rent it out to students and rent here. And I'll still be able to qualify even though I own a home. Wow. The term is very misleading. The definition is confusing. So to listeners, check the definition because even if you've owned a home, you might still qualify as a first-time home buyer. So that's what I've taken from that. And for people who were married and then subsequently divorced, the the definition is now changed again. And it's more lenient for individuals who are now divorced to, to get back in. That was recently changed. So my recommendation, if you are buying or going to buy a home, check the form, the T1036, and just go through the checklist. Don't worry about the, the first time home buyer. Uh, forget about it. Just go through the checklist and see if you apply, if you're qualified and then apply. That's the best That's thing. That's so helpful. Yeah. Okay. So then finally to officially put to death. So if you're not using it for school, you're not using it for home. We both highly recommend though that you do, but if the money's there and you want, you take it out, all that's happening is it's added to your income. It's as if your employer just gave you a bonus, which could put you in a higher tax bracket. So you could have to pay even more tax on it. But am I right that there's no weird penalty fee? Where did I get this idea of a penalty? Uh, I I think you get the, the idea of the penalty because of the withholding that applies. So again, back to my original comment, it's your money. You can take it out whenever you want. In order to win with your RSP, okay, you want to pull out the money, ideally, when you're in a lower tax bracket than when you deducted it from. You want to pull it out when you're in a lower marginal bracket than when you contributed it, because most people contribute and deduct it in the same year. But if you want to be really technical, you want to withdraw it when you're in a lower bracket than when when you deducted it. What typically that means for most people is retirement. Most people are on a trajectory when they start working, they're earning the least. And over the course of their employment or their career, they continue to earn more and more and more. And then they retire and their income drops significantly. What is this withholding though penalty? So what a withholding is, let's say I'm taking out $5,000. Okay. And my withholding is 10%. The financial institution, RBC, is going to only give me $4,500. I have to leave $500 with them. They remit it back to the government. 
they say Lucas has paid $500 withholding on his taxes. The government now is holding on to my $500. And at the end of the year, when I get my T4 RSP slip, because I made a withdrawal, it's going to say on there that I paid X amount of dollars in withholding, in this case, 500. Yeah. And now the government knows that I've paid $500 of tax already on this money. But as we both talked about before, my job as a taxpayer is to include the full $5,000 on my tax return. And so I'm now going to be taxed that on that 5,000 based on whatever my marginal rate is. So let's say life is good. I'm in the highest marginal rate. Let's just call it 50% because I can't do the math on 53%. Yeah, I love it. I actually owe $2,500 of tax, not 500. So you and so owe I another 2,000. Exactly. So now I, I have to pay 2,000. Now you have to pay 2,000. But can we flip it? In this scenario, actually, life is also good, but it's only because you've quit your job and created something. So all your money is tax shelters, all in the corporation. Yes. So you're still making lots of it's in the corporation and you are living so well, you actually don't need to pay yourself anything yes. other than randomly $5,000 from your RSP for some reason. Perfect. For some reason, yes. you're like, I immediately need $5,000. Oh, it's for the yacht week. So yes. I, need, so, I need fuel for the yacht. I, it's uh, for, and sorry, Lucas, it just, I don't have cash on me. If you could just fuel the yacht. So you take out, you're like, no problem, got the RSP. So you take out the $5,000, RBC keeps 10%, so it keeps 500, tells the government that, you tell the government that, government's in the loop. When you're submitting your taxes, you're like, government, thank you for holding on to that. I would now like it back. Yes. And you would get, if you had to pay no taxes, if your tax rate was none, and that's because the first 30, I think $30,000 of income is tax-free, right? Depends on the type of income. Your personal basic exemption is going to allow you to have some amount of income that is tax-free. Let's Not 100% say, because like you got to pay like... Let's things. say it's less than 10%. Yes. You could actually get some of that 500 back. So it's exactly. not a penalty. We were wrong in calling it that. It is simply pay withholding. Love it. Okay, that is... That's it. That's what I wanted this RSP riff on. Thank you so much for clarifying yeah. all the things. And now it's time for... Money wins. Money wins is a way you spent, saved, or invested your money that feels like a win. Lucas, do you have a money win for us? I got really into sim racing over the course of the pandemic. Simulation uh, racing? Yes. Like racing like sports cars and stuff on the internet because what else are you going to do when you're stuck at home? And so, yeah, I spent a lot of money buying a brand new computer, a racing chair, pedals, steering wheel, all that stuff. So that sounds like a good win. It's a huge win. I spend a lot of time on it, much to the <laughs> chagrin of my wife. I don't spend time with her. I am just racing now. That's what I do. Oh, I'm you know, happy. When I, work, for... I work and then I race. I've heard you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know we both haven't mentioned that we're actually both lawyers. Yes. <laughs> we have meeting. We're, we're both gainfully employed for most both, of the day. We're both lawyers. Well, congrats on sim racing. Thank you again so much for coming on and sharing this. It's It honestly is really helpful. I learned a lot. I hope our listeners do too. Yeah, it's fantastic to see you, Les. It's been way too long. I know. I'll end it actually, as we always do, with love and dividends. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. Please subscribe, share, and rate us with five shining stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us rise in visibility to reach more listeners like you. To find out more, 
Visit our website, loveanddividends.com, our Instagram, at loveanddividends, or email me, leslie at loveanddividends.com. This episode was produced by Holly Dodson. Until next time, I'm Leslie Gray, signing off with Love and Dividends.